Welcome to the Enchanted Library, where we turn the pages of books, beautiful and old, living and magical. It's time to curl up, get cozy, and join us on an adventure. Today we're reading from Beautiful Joe by Margaret Marshall Saunders. Chapter 12. Malta the Cat. The first time I had a good look at the Morris cat, I thought she was the queerest looking animal I had ever seen. She was a dark gray, just the color of a mouse. Her eyes were a yellowish green, and for the first few days she looked very unkindly at me. Then she got over her dislike, and we became very good friends. She was a beautiful cat, and so gentle and affectionate that the whole family loved her. She was three years old, and she had come to Fairport in a vessel with some sailors who had brought her from a faraway place. Her name was Malta, and she was called a Maltese cat. I have seen a great many cats, but I never saw one as kind as Malta. Once, she had some little kittens, and they all died. It almost broke her heart. She cried and cried about the house till it made one feel sad to hear her. Then she ran away to the woods. She came back with a little squirrel in her mouth, and putting it in her basket, she nursed it like a mother till it grew old enough to run away from her. She was a very knowing cat, and always came when she was called. Miss Laura used to wear a little silver whistle that she blew when she wanted any of her pets. It was a shrill whistle, and we could hear it a long way from home. I have seen her standing at the back door, whistling for Malta, and the pretty creature's head would appear somewhere, always high up, for she was a great climber, and she would come running along the top of the fence, saying, Meow, meow, in a funny, short way. Miss Laura would pet her, or give her something to eat, or walk around the garden, carrying her on her shoulder. Malta was a most affectionate cat, and if Miss Laura would not let her lick her face, she licked her hair with her little rough tongue. Often, Malta lay by the fire, licking my colt or little billies to show her affection for us. Mary the cook was very fond of cats, and used to keep Malta in the kitchen as much as she could, but nothing would make her stay if there was any music going on upstairs. The Morris pets were all fond of music. As soon as Miss Laura sat down to the piano to sing her play, we came from all parts of the house. Malta cried to get upstairs. Davy scampered through the hall, and Bella hurried after him. If I was outside, I ran into the house, and Jim got on a box and looked through the window. Davy's place was on Miss Laura's shoulder, his pink nose run in the curls at the back of her neck. I sat under the piano beside Malta and Bella, and we never stirred till the music was over. Then we went quietly away. Malta was a beautiful cat, there was no doubt about it. When I was with Jenkins, I thought cats were vermin, like rats, and I chased them every chance I got. Mrs. Jenkins had a cat, a gaunt, long-legged yellow creature that ran whenever we looked at it. Malta had been so kindly treated that she never ran from anyone, except from strange dogs. She knew they would be likely to hurt her. If they came upon her suddenly, she faced them, and she was a pretty good fighter when she was forced to it. I once saw her having a brush with a big mastiff that lived a few blocks from us, and giving him a good fight, which just served him right. I was shut up in the parlor. Someone had closed the door, and I could not get out. I was watching Malta from the window as she daintily picked her way across the muddy street. 
She was such a soft, pretty, amiable-looking cat. She didn't look that way, though, when the Mastiff rushed out of the alleyway at her. She sprang back and glared at him like a fierce little tiger. Her tail was enormous. Her eyes were like balls of fire, and she was spitting and snarling as if to say, "'If you touch me, I'll tear you to pieces.' The dog, as big as he was, did not dare attack her. He walked around and around like a great clumsy elephant, and she turned her small body as she turned his, and kept up a dreadful hissing and spitting. Suddenly I saw a spitz dog hurrying down the street. He was going to help the mastiff, and Malta would be badly hurt. I had barked, and no one had come to let me out, so I sprang through the window. Just then there was a change— Malta had seen the second dog, and knew she must get rid of the mastiff. With an agile bound, she sprang on his back, dug her sharp claws in, till he put his tail between his legs and ran up the street, howling with pain. She rode a little way, then jumped off, and ran up the lane to the stable. I was very angry and wanted to fight something, so I pitched into the spitz dog. He was a snarly, cross-grained creature, no friend to Jim and me, and he would have only been too glad of a chance to help kill Malta. I gave him one of the worst beatings he ever had. I don't suppose it was quite right for me to do it, for Miss Laura says dogs should never fight, but he had worried Malta before, and he had no business to do it. She belonged to our family. Jim and I never worried his cat. I had been longing to give him a shaking for some time, and now I felt for his throat through his thick hair and dragged him all around the street— then I let him go, and he was a civil dog ever afterward. Malta was very grateful, and licked a little place where the spits had bitten me. I did not get scolded for the broken window. Mary had seen me from the kitchen, and told Mrs. Morris that I had gone to help Malta. Malta was a very wise cat. She knew quite well that she must not harm the parrot nor the canaries, and she never tried to catch them, even though she was left alone in the room with them. I have seen her lying in the sun, blinking sleepily, and listening with great pleasure to Dick's singing. Miss Laura taught her not to hunt, not even the birds outside. For a long time she had tried to get it into Malta's head that it was cruel to catch the little sparrows that came about the door, and just after I arrived she succeeded in doing so. Malta was so fond of Miss Laura that whenever she caught a bird she came and laid it at her feet. Miss Laura always picked up the little dead bird— pitied it and stroked it and scolded Malta till she crept into a corner. Then Miss Laura put the bird on the limb of a tree, and Malta watched her attentively. One day, Miss Laura stood at the window looking out into the garden. Malta was lying on the platform, staring at the sparrows that were picking up crumbs from the ground. She trembled and half rose every few minutes as if to go after them. Then she lay down again. She was trying very hard to not to creep on them. Presently, a neighbor's cat came stealing along the fence, keeping one eye on Malta and the other on the sparrows. Malta was so angry. She sprang up and chased her away and then came back to the platform where she lay down again and waited for the sparrows to come back. For a long time, she stayed there and never once tried to catch them. Miss Laura was so pleased. She went to the door and said softly, "'Come here, Malta.' The cat put up her tail, and meowing gently came into the house. 
Miss Laura took her up in her arms, and going down to the kitchen asked Mary to give her a saucer of her very sweetest milk for the very best cat in the United States of America. Malta got great praise for this, and I never knew of her catching a bird afterward. She was well fed in the house, and had no need to hurt such harmless creatures. She was very fond of her home, and never went far away, as Jim and I did. Once, when Willie was going to spend a few weeks with a little friend who lived 50 miles from Fairport, he took it into his head that Malta should go with him. His mother told him that cats did not like to go away from home, but he said he would be good to her and begged so hard to take her that at last his mother consented. He had been a few weeks in this place when he wrote home to say that Malta had disappeared. She had seemed very uneasy, and though he had kept her with him all the time, she acted as if she wanted to get away. When the letter was read to Mr. Morris, he said, "'Malta is coming back. Cats have a wonderful cleverness in finding their way to their own dwelling. She will be very tired. Let us go out and meet her.' Willie had gone to this place in a coach. Mr. Morris got a buggy and took Miss Laura and me with him, and we started out. We went slowly along the road.' Every little while, Miss Laura blew her whistle and called, Malta, Malta, and I barked as loudly as I could. Mr. Morris drove for several hours. Then we stopped at a house, had dinner, and set out again. We were going through a thick wood, where there was a pretty straight road, when I saw a small, dark creature away ahead trotting toward us. It was Malta. I gave a joyful bark, but she did not know me and plunged into the wood. I ran after her, barking and yelping, and Miss Laura blew her whistle as loudly as she could. Soon there was a little gray head peeping at us from the bushes, and Malta bounded out, gave me a look of surprise, and then leaped into the buggy on Miss Laura's lap. What a happy cat she was! She purred with delight and licked Miss Laura's gloves over and over again. Then she ate some of the food they had brought and went sound asleep. She was very thin, and for several days after getting home, she slept most of the time. Malta did not like dogs, but she was very good to cats. One day, when there was no one about, and the garden was very quiet, I saw her go stealing into the stable and come out again, followed by a sore-eyed, starved-looking cat that had been deserted by some people who lived in the next street. Then... She led this cat up to her catnip bed and watched her kindly while she rolled and rubbed herself in it. Then Malta had a roll in it herself, and they both went back to the stable. Catnip is a favorite plant with cats, and Miss Laura always kept some of it growing for Malta. For a long time, the sick cat had a home in the stable. Malta carried food to her every day, and after a while, Miss Laura found out about her and did what she could to make her well. In time, she grew to be a strong, sturdy-looking cat, and Miss Laura found a home for her with an invalid lady. It was nothing new for the Morrises to feed deserted cats. Some summers, Mrs. Morris had a dozen to take care of. Careless people would go away for the summer, shutting up their houses and making no provisions for the poor cats that had been allowed to sit snugly by the fire all winter. At last, Mrs. Morris got into the habit of putting a little notice in the Fairport paper, asking people who were going away for the summer to provide for their cats during their absence. Chapter 13. The Beginning of an Adventure The first winter I was with the Morrises, I had an adventure. It was a week before Christmas, and we were having cold, frosty weather. 
Not much snow had fallen, but there was plenty of skating, and the boys were off every day with their skates on a little lake near Fairport. Jim and I often went with them, and we had great fun scampering over the ice and slipping at every step. On the Saturday night, we had just come home. It was quite dark outside, and there was a cold wind blowing, so when we came in the front door and saw the red light from the big hall stove and a blazing fire in the parlor, they looked very cheerful. I was quite sorry for Jim that he had to go out to his kennel. However, he said he didn't mind. The boys got a plate of nice warm meat for him and a bowl of milk, and carried them out, and afterward he went to sleep. Jim's kennel was a very snug one. Being a spaniel, he was not a very large dog, but his kennel was roomy enough for a great Dane. He told me that Mr. Morris and the boys made it, and he liked it very much, because he could get up at night and stretch himself when he got tired of laying in one position. It was raised a little from the ground, and it had a thick layer of straw over the floor. Above was a broad shelf, wide enough for him to lie on, covered with an old catskin sleigh robe. Jim always slept here in cold weather, because it was farther away from the ground. To return to this December evening, I can remember yet how hungry I was. I could scarcely lie still till Miss Laura finished her tea. Mrs. Morris, knowing her boys would be very hungry, had requested Mary to broil some beefsteak and roast some potatoes for them, and didn't they smell good? They ate all the steak and potatoes. It didn't matter to me, for I wouldn't have been given any had they been left. Mrs. Morris could not afford to feed to the dogs good meat that she had bought for her children. So she used to get the butcher to send her liver and bones and tough meat, and Mary cooked them and made soup and mixed porridge with them for us. We never got meat three times a day. Miss Laura said that it was all very well to feed hunting dogs on meat, but dogs that are kept about a house get ill if they are fed too well. So we had meat only once a day, and bread and milk and porridge or dog biscuits for our other meals. I make a dreadful noise when I am eating. Ever since Jenkins cut my ears off, I have had trouble in breathing. The flaps kept the wind and dust from the inside of my ears. Now that they are gone, my head is stuffed up all the time. The cold weather makes me worse, and sometimes I have such trouble to get my breath that it seems that I should choke. If I opened my mouth and breathed through it, as I have seen some people doing, I should be more comfortable, but dogs always like to breathe through their noses. "'You have taken more cold,' said Miss Laura this night, "'as she put her plate of, my plate of food on the floor for me. "'Finish your meat, and then come sit by the fire with me. "'What, do you want more?' "'I gave a little bark, so she filled my plate for the second time. "'Miss Laura never allowed anyone to meddle with us when we were eating. "'One day she found Willie teasing me by snatching at a bone I was gnawing. Willie, she said, what would you do if you were sitting down to the table feeling very hungry, and just as you began to eat your meat and potatoes, I should come along and snatch the plate from you? I don't know what I'd do, he said laughingly, but I'd want to wallop you. Well, she said, I'm afraid that Joe will wallop you some day if you worry him about his food, for even a gentle dog will sometimes snap at anyone who disturbs him at his meals, so you had better not try his patience too far. Willie never teased me after that, and I was very glad, for two or three times I had been tempted to snarl at him. After I had finished my tea, I followed Miss Laura upstairs. She took up a book and sat in a low chair, and I sat down on the hearthrug beside her. "'Do you know, Joe,' she said with a smile, "'why you scratch with your paws, as if to make yourself a hollow bed, and turn around a great many times before you lie down?' 
Of course, I did not know, so I only stared at her. Years and years ago, she went on, gazing down at me. There weren't any dogs living in people's houses, as you are, Joe. They were all wild creatures running about the woods. They always scratched among the leaves to make a comfortable bed for themselves, and the habit has come down to you, Joe, for you are descended from them. This sounded very interesting, and I think she was going to tell me some more about my wild forefathers. But just then, the rest of the family came in. I always thought this was the snuggest time of the day, when the family all sat around the fire, Mrs. Morris sewing, the boys reading or studying, and Mr. Morris with his head buried in a newspaper, and Billy and I on the floor at their feet. This evening I was feeling very drowsy, and had almost dropped asleep, when Ned gave me a push with his foot. He was a great tease, and he delighted in getting me to make a simpleton of myself. I tried to keep my eyes on the fire, but I could not, and just had to turn and look at him. He was holding his book up between himself and his mother, and was opening his mouth as wide as he could and throwing back his head, pretending to howl. For the life of me, I could not help giving a loud howl. Mrs. Morris looked up and said, Bad Joe, keep still. The boys were all laughing behind their books, for they knew what Ned was doing. Presently he started off again, and I was just beginning another howl that might have made Mrs. Morris send me out of the room, when the door opened and a young girl called Bessie Drury came in. She had a cap on and a shawl thrown about her shoulders, and she had just run across the street from her father's house. "'Oh, Mrs. Morris,' she said, "'will you let Laura come over and stay with me tonight? "'Mama has just had a telegram from Bangor "'saying that her aunt is very ill, "'and she wants to see her, "'and Papa is going to take her there by tonight's train, "'and she's very afraid that I will be lonely "'if I don't have Laura. "'Can you not come and spend the night here?' "'asked Mrs. Morris. "'No, thank you. "'I think Mama would rather have me stay in our house.' "'Very well,' said Mrs. Morris. "'I think Laura should like to go.' "'Yes, indeed,' said Miss Laura, smiling at her friend. "'I will come over in half an hour.' "'Thank you so much,' said Miss Bessie, and she hurried away. "'After she left, Mr. Morris looked up from his paper. "'There will be someone in the house besides those two girls?' "'Oh, yes,' said Mrs. Morris. "'Mrs. Drury has her old nurse, who has been with her for twenty years, "'and there are two maids besides, and Donald the coachman who sleeps over the stable. "'So they are well protected.' "'Very good,' said Mr. Morris, and he went back to his paper. "'Of course, dumb animals do not understand all they hear spoken, "'but I think human beings would be astonished "'if they knew how much we can gather from their looks and voices. "'I knew that Mr. Morris did not quite like the idea "'of having his daughter go to the Drury's "'while the master and mistress of the house were away, "'so I made up my mind that I would go with her. "'When she came downstairs with her little satchel in her arm, "'I got up and stood near her.' "'Dear old Joe,' she said, "'you must not come.' "'I pushed myself out the door beside her "'after she had kissed her mother and father and the boys. "'Go back, Joe,' she said firmly. "'I had to step back then, but I cried and whined, "'and she looked at me in astonishment. "'I shall be back in the morning, Joe,' she said gently. "'Don't squeal in that way.' "'And then she shut the door and went out.' I felt dreadfully. I walked up and down the floor and ran to the window and howled without having to look at Ned. Mrs. Morris peered over her glasses at me in utter surprise. Boys, she said, did you ever see Joe act in that way before? No, mother, they all replied. Mr. Morris was looking at me very intently. He had always taken more notice of me than any other creature about the house, and I was very fond of him. 
Now I ran up and put my paws on his knees. Mother, he said, turning to his wife, let the dog go. Very well, she said in a puzzled way. Jack, just run over with him and tell Mrs. Drury how he is acting, and that I shall be very much obliged if she'll let him stay all night with Laura. Jack sprang up, seized his cap, and raced down the front step, across the sheet, through the gate, and up the gravel walk, where the little stones were all hard and fast in the frosted ground. The Drurys lived in a large white house, with trees all around it and a garden at the back. They were rich people and had a great deal of company. Through the summer I had often seen carriages at the door, and ladies and gentlemen in light clothes walking over the lawn, and sometimes I smelled nice things they were having to eat. They did not keep any dogs or pets of any kind, so Jim and I never had any excuse to call there. Jack and I were soon at the front door, and he rang the bell and gave me in charge of the maid who opened it. The girl listened to his message for Mrs. Drury. Then she walked upstairs, smiling and looking at me over her shoulder. There was a trunk in the upper hall, and an elderly woman was putting clothes in it. A lady stood watching her, and when she saw me, she gave a little scream. "'Oh, nurse, look at that horrid dog! Where did he come from? Put him out, Susan!' I stood quite still, and the girl who had brought me upstairs gave her Jack's message. "'Certainly, certainly,' said the lady, when the maid finished speaking. "'If he is one of the Morris dogs, he's sure to be a well-behaved one. "'Tell the little boy to thank his mamma for letting Laura come over, "'and say we shall keep the dog with pleasure. "'Now hurry, nurse, we must hurry. "'The cab will be here in five minutes.' "'I walked softly into a front room, "'and there I found my dear Miss Laura. "'Miss Bessie was with her, "'and they were cramming things into a portmanteau. "'They both ran out to ask how I got there.' and then just then a gentleman came hurriedly upstairs and said the cab had come. There was a scene of great confusion and hurry, but in a few minutes it was all over. The cab had rolled away and the house was quiet. "'Nurse, you must be tired. You had better go to bed,' said Miss Bessie, turning to the elderly woman, as we all stood in the hall. "'Susan, will you bring some supper to the dining room for Miss Morris and me? What will you have, Laura?' "'What are you going to have?' asked Miss Laura with a smile." hot chocolate and tea biscuits then i will have the same bring some cake too susan said miss bessie and something for the dog i dare say he would like some of that turkey left from dinner if i had any ears i would have pricked them up at this for i was very fond of fowl and i never got any from the morrises unless it might be a stray bone or two what fun we had over our supper the two girls sat at the big dining table and sipped their chocolate and laughed and talked and i had the skeleton of a whole turkey on newspaper that susan had spread on the carpet i was very careful not to drag it about and miss bessie laughed at me till tears came in her eyes the dog is a gentleman she said see how he holds the bones on the paper with his paws and strips the meat off with his teeth oh joe joe you are a funny dog and you are having a funny supper i have heard of quail on toast but i have never heard of turkey on newspaper hadn't we better go to bed said miss laura when the half when the hall clock struck eleven well yes i suppose we had said miss bessie where is this animal to sleep "'I don't know,' said Miss Laura. "'He sleeps in the stable at home, or in the kennel with Jim. "'Suppose Susan makes him a nice bed by the kitchen stove,' said Miss Bessie. "'Susan made the bed, but I was not willing to sleep in it. "'I barked so loudly when they shut me up alone "'that they had to let me go upstairs with them. "'Miss Laura was almost angry with me, but I could not help it. "'I had come to protect her, and I wasn't going to leave her if I could help it.' 
Miss Bessie had a handsomely furnished room with a soft carpet on the floor and pretty curtains at the windows. There were two single beds in it, and the girls dragged them close together so they could talk after they got in bed. Before Miss Bessie put out the light, she told Miss Laura not to be alarmed if she heard anyone walking about in the night, for the nurse was sleeping across the hall from them, and she would probably come in once or twice to see that they were sleeping comfortably. The two girls talked for a long time, and then they fell asleep. Just before Miss Laura dropped off, she forgave me, and put down her hand for me to lick as I lay on a fur rug close to her bed. I was very tired, and, as I had a soft and pleasant bed, I soon fell into a heavy sleep, but I waked at the slightest noise. Once Miss Laura turned in bed, and another time Miss Bessie laughed in her sleep, and again there were queer crackling noises in the frosty limbs of the trees outside that made me start up quickly out of my sleep. There was a big clock in the hall, and every time it struck I waked up. Once, just after it had struck some hour, I jumped up out of a sound nap. I had been dreaming about my early home. Jenkins was after me with a whip, and my limbs were quivering and trembling as if I had been trying to get away from him. I sprang up and shook myself. Then I took a turn around the room. The two girls were breathing gently. I could scarcely hear them. I walked to the door and looked out into the hall. There was a dim light burning there. The door of the nurse's room stood open. I went quietly to it and looked in. She was breathing heavily and muttering in her sleep. I went back to my rug and tried to go to sleep, but I could not. Such an uneasy feeling was upon me that I had to keep walking about. I went out into the hall again and stood at the head of the staircase. I thought I would take a walk through the lower hall and then go to bed again. The jury's carpets were all like velvet, and my paws did not make a rattling on them as they did on the oilcloth at the Morris house. I crept down the stairs like a cat and walked along the lower hall, smelling under all the doors, listening as I went. There was no nightlight burning down here, and it was quite dark, but if there had been any strange person about, I should have smelled him. I was surprised when I got to the farther end of the hall to see a tiny gleam of light shine for an instant from under the dining room door. Then it went away again. The dining room was the place to eat. Surely none of the people in the house would be there after the supper we had. I went and sniffed under the door. There was a smell there, a strong smell like beggars and poor people. It smelled like Jenkins. It was Jenkins. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and share our podcast with a friend. Visit our website at www.enchantedlibrary.net to see our past books or to connect with us on Facebook. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash enchantedlibrary. We appreciate your support. Until next time, friends, happy reading.